Chicken Soup for the Recovering Soul. A book review. Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen, plus other guys. Ackerman, Peluso, Seidler, and Peter Vegso. The foreword. History teaches that no society or generation has gone untouched by alcoholism and addiction. Several hundred years ago, certain Native American tribes were known to have formed sobriety circles. During colonial times in the United States, noted physician Dr. Benjamin Rush, a signer of the Declaration of Independence, began to talk about drunkenness as a disease and call for treatment. One of the first attempts to deal with alcoholism was not on an individual basis, but through mutual support. In 1840, a group of people formed the Washingtonian Society, which at that time was a new and exciting approach. It became so popular that at one point there were 600,000 members. Also around this time, Dr. Magnus Huss, a Swedish physician, officially introduced the term alcoholism. An ongoing debate about the definition of alcoholism ensued, and at one time it was thought that as many as 200 definitions were being used. Regardless of how it was defined, many institutions were established to help alcoholics. The New York State Integrated Asylum, the Martha Washington Home in Chicago, and the Water Street Mission in New York City are a few examples. In 1879, Dr. Leslie Keeley began to open more than 120 institutions for addiction treatment in America. During the Civil War, many wounded soldiers were treated with morphine and developed physical dependence on the drug. Their dependence became known as the soldier's disease. Other drug problems surfaced as well, such as cocaine addiction and opiate dependence. By the turn of the century, concern over alcoholism and drug addiction was no longer limited to the addict. Responses to addiction started to develop from the government with such actions as the 1914 Harrison Tax Act to control opiates and cocaine and the involvement of the Supreme Court. However, all these efforts did not seem to reach the core of the problem for those struggling with addiction. It was obvious that addiction was not just a physical dependence on a substance and that recovery needed to be more than merely abstinence. For a brief time between 1900 and 1940, an organization known as the Oxford Group attempted to add spirituality to the concept of recovery. Affinance from alcohol was not a mandatory requirement for this group. It soon became clear something more was needed, something that would help people understand they need not recover alone, something that would help addicts experience not only loss but also hope. Something that could replace a lifestyle of pain and addiction with one of, of health and healing and men a broken spirit. Not just a body. To bring peace to a troubled soul. In the United States, that something emerged in 1935 when two alcoholics, Bill W. and Dr. Ball, found each other and realized that together they could accomplish something that neither of them could do alone. It was the beginning of Alcoholics Anonymous and the beginning of the modern recovery movement. Alcoholics Anonymous AA was not the first group of alcoholics to join together, but it quickly became the most explosive and universal. 
Unlike other groups, its members found something that helped them make sense of their lives, to support each other, and to form a community that asked for nothing but gave much, that welcomed all, judged not, and replaced despair with spirituality and acceptance. AA offered something even more, a way of life. Based on a program of the 12 steps of AA and the 12 traditions, this way of life was not limited to overcoming your past, but also offered guidelines for living a healthy future physical, emotional, and spirituality. The success of AA quickly spread not only throughout America, but also the world. In fact, many non-alcoholics were attracted to AA's ideas about recovery because of the 12 steps and their application to other life situations. Without a doubt, a community had been born and its impact had touched the world. Other events were unfolding. Universities were beginning to take an interest in trying to better understand addiction and recovery. First among these was Yale, Yale which developed the Center of Alcohol Studies in 1943. In 1944, Marty Mann founded what is known today as the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence, a tremendous achievement in the treatment of addiction occurred in the late 1940s when three institutions, Pioneer House, Wilmar State Hospital, and Hazelden developed what is known as the Minnesota Model. Their pioneering work led to development of 28-day programs for treatment of chemical dependency. It was also around this time that the application of AA's program to other drug addictions emerged with the founding of Narcotics Anonymous. In the 1950s, things began to expand even more. With the founding of Elnam Family Groups by Lois W. and Ann B., wives of the original members of AA, family members and friends of addicts were offered support and hope based on the 12 steps for the first time with the addition of spouses and children of alcoholics. COAs. The number of people involved in recovery grew tremendously. By the 1950s, the American Medical Association and other organizations recognized alcoholism as a disease, and Dr. Root Fox established what is known today as the American Society of Addiction Medicine. In the new decade, the American Bar Association and the American Public Health Association adopted official statements accepting alcoholism as a treatable illness. During this time, other drugs were being abused as well, and the level of public awareness for treatment and recovery began to grow. Drug abuse, alcoholism, and chemical dependency were now mainstream in America, and the country was trying to find help. Controversy ensued over social policy and the best approach for prevention, identification, and treatment. Organizations began to help, and during the 1970s and 80s, Hospitals developed residential treatment programs. Third-party insurance coverage now included treatment for alcohol and drug abuse, and the recovery movement continued to expand. It was also during this time that another phenomenon emerged. The children of alcoholics, COAs, wanted to join the recovery movement with an estimated population of more than 28 million. Their inclusion further popularized recovery. Several books on the subject reached bestsellers list. Conferences were widely attended, and mental health professionals began to become involved in their treatment. The Children of Alcoholics Foundation 
and the National Association for Children of Alcoholics were founded in the early 80s. Concepts such as dysfunctional families and codependency became everyday words. All of these changes garnered more attention for recovery and in many cases encouraged more debate. Through it all, however, one thing remained constant, and that was the quest for recovery and the application of recovery programs to as many people as possible. In the 1990s and into this new century, recovery has continued to change and grow to meet the needs of diverse, complex society. Concepts such as co-occurring disorders, outpatient treatments, and drug courts have emerged. The area of 28 residential treatment programs have declined due to challenges from managed care and more and more clients are treated on an outpatient basis. Gender-specific treatment and programs that are more inclusive for people of color are becoming the norm. The concept of recovery is now being applied to a variety of quality of life issues. More than an historical accounting of dates, facts, and the founding of institutions, the history of recovery is truly a story of grassroots movement. It was not something created by professionals, social policy, or directives, people coming together who share a common history and who share a common dream for a better life created it. Those who choose not to judge each other but to support each other started it. Those who struggle alone but recover together continue it. It has truly become a recovering community, a community of hope, strength, acceptance, love, and resiliency. Regardless of when or why it started or who or what institution participated, recovery is a gift that has been given to all of us. That's Robert J. Ackerman, Ph.D. Okie doke. Margaret Mead said, Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's only the thing that ever has. Okay, doke. Introduction. You're about to become acquainted with one of the greatest communities in the world. Not one consistent of houses, buildings, streets, shopping malls, and schools, but one that resides in the very hearts and souls of people who share a common bond. Each member of the recovering community has successfully overcome tremendous obstacles in their lives and in doing so find themselves in a better place physically, emotionally, and spiritually than they ever thought possible. Chicken soup for the recovering soul will move, inspire, and entertain you with the stories from only a few of the millions of people who have become part of the recovering community you will quickly discover that these stories are not about pain and despair, but rather about hope and resiliency. They are not stories about strategies for change, but stories about the human spirit that will not be denied. There are the stories of people who are willing to share parts of their lives in order to help others. Most people who live, whose lives are touched by addiction and other problems feel completely alone. They believe that no one else would understand or appreciate their situation, 
And although they begin their journey in solitude, they soon find many others who share similar experiences and are willing to help them. Often facing dawning circumstances and ever-present self-doubt, people just like your comfort, their fears of the future in order to change and find a better way to live. As you read, you'll understand how an individual cannot do it alone, how mentors appear at the right time and place, and you will meet people who believe they need no one's help but begin to reach out to others and be touched in return. Restore your faith as our writers describe the birth, growth, and nurturing of spirituality that enriches the lives of people in recovery. And for so many who struggle feeling they have no choice, new families are found in every page as the author shares their discovery that families of origin, friends, and even our support groups can summon us with life-affirming healthy behaviors. You'll be filled with awe, wonder, and appreciation at the resilience of people in the face of great odds to not only overcome but thrive and grow from difficult, seemingly insurmountable circumstances. Their stories are a mixture of hope, inner strength, and serenity. And although most of the stories in Chicken Soup for the Recovering Soul focus on overcoming addiction to alcohol and other drugs, we share a selection of pieces that illustrate how the process of recovery is now applied to other quality of life issues from depression to chronic illnesses. The concept of recovery and the use of 12-step programs are applicable to many different issues with equally successful results. Supporting each other is an effective tool and consequently the recovering community is constantly growing. We should not be surprised when something works so well, it will become part of people's lives. Finally, one of the most cherished virtues in the life of a recovering individual is the resurrection of joy, and one of the greatest indicators of recovery is the desire to share what you have found. The authors represent in Chicken Soup for the Recovering Soul want to share the hope, resilience, joy, and spirituality that have touched their souls. This book is about joy and life changes, a portable support group that binds millions of people together in a new community. It is the recovering community. Welcome. We would love to hear your reactions to the stories in this book. Please let us know what your favorite stories were and how they affected you. We also invite you to send us stories you would like to see published in future editions of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Please send submissions to Chicken Soup for the Soul, P.O. Box 30880, Santa Barbara, California, 93130. 93130. Fax number 805-563. 2945. You can also access email and find a current list of planned books of the Chicken Soup for the Soul website at www.chickensoup.com. Find out about our internet services at clubchickensoup.com. We hope you enjoy reading this book as much as we enjoy compiling, editing it, and writing it.
Chicken Soup for the Soul, a book of miracles, story number 50. Speaking from the heart. Now go, now go, says the Lord, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Exodus 4.12 My husband Rich and I decided to add to our family through adoption. There were many different avenues we could have taken, but one called to us in an extraordinary way. There was an article in the newspaper about a local family who had traveled to Romania and adopted there. We wondered if it was something we could do, so we talked to them. The adoption process seems complicated. Romania was so far away. They spoke another language, and we didn't know anything about international adoption law. To complicate matters, the government was making it difficult for foreigners to adopt, though the orphanage were overflowing with children. The orphans barely received medical attention and in some cases did not even get the basic necessities that children needed, food, clothing, and a warm, clean bed. The orphanage workers did their best with what they had, but it wasn't enough. The children were suffering. It was a simple decision to fly halfway around the world to a tiny country I knew little about. It was easy because I was doing the right thing. I left for Romania without my husband. We both couldn't afford to make time off work. I hated to leave him, and I'll never forget how lonely I was as the plane taxied off the runway. On the long flight, I worried about what I would find once I got there. I had never been to another country, and I was afraid I would struggle with the language barrier, especially since I'm hearing impaired and really heavy on reading lips. Rely. I hired Dragos, a translator, thinking that would be helpful, but it was still a challenge for me. He spoke broken English, and I could barely read his lips to understand him. I had to concentrate intently on every word he spoke, and I always made him repeat everything and talk more slowly. He was unbelievably patient with my hearing disability. Days turned into weeks, and they all seemed to blend together until I found Adela, a rather she found me. Before I could mother this beautiful child, I first had to complete a ton of paperwork. I had to cut through red tape and jump through numerous hoops to get appointments to the U.S. Embassy, meet with social workers, and translate some of the documents into the Romanian language and others into English. It seemed to take forever, and I was worried that something would go wrong, but everything fell magically into place. When the day arrived to finally meet with Rada, Adela's birth mother, I was a nervous wreck. I would be receiving my daughter excited, scared, and relieved. I couldn't wait to finally hold Adela in my arms again. I felt a total acceptance that Adela's birth mother thought I was special enough to take care for and love her baby forever. Drago stood off to the side so I could focus on the most precious moment of my life, accepting Adela, my new daughter. Time seemed to stand still when I looked at Rada and she looked back at me. My heart thumped practically right on my chest. I wonder how I could tell her that everything would be all right. She only spoke Romanian and I only knew the English. And at that moment, she touched my arm and I felt my heart begin to melt. She gently placed Adele in my arms and I accepted my baby with an outpouring of love. 
She felt so warm and soft. I placed my hand on Adela's head and Rada placed hers and hand over mine. She licked her dry lips and spoke to me in a hushed tone. You will be able to take care for her. I cannot. I'm so young, she said. We love her and protect her with all our hearts. Well, please don't worry, I said, even though I knew she would. She smiled warmly. I won't worry because I see in your eyes how much you love her already. And I know you will get her a good home. Tears welled in my eyes and rolled uncontrollably down my face. You have given me the gift of life, love, a chance to be a, a mom again. I sniffled and she couldn't contain her tears either. I'm so proud of you for having the courage to love to let her go. She nodded as to, if to accept my words. A brief silence fell between us while we stared in wonderment at the child we were both cradling. Do you know what she looks just like you, so beautiful and perfect? She has your hair, I said, looking right into Rada's dark brown eyes. She blushed and smiled and let her eyes rest on Adela. You are so kind, she murmured. At that moment, we both looked down at Adela, and I placed my hand on Adela's tummy, and she seemed to smile at us like she knew it was a special moment in our lives. Rada placed her hand over mine. She knows you already, she began. She's smiling at you. No, I said, she's smiling at us. We were both staring at our baby, studying every detail of her tiny face. I knew Rada was burning the image into her memory. It would be comfort her through many years. I felt Rada's hand slowly lift off, and she quietly <clears throat> walked away. I knew that would be the hardest step she would ever take. Watching her leave was surreal, and its etched in my memory forever. Dragos rested his hand on my shoulder and peered into the tightly wrapped bundle in my arms. I think you've been holding back on me, he said with a little in his voice. I glanced up at him and read his lips. I don't understand. Why did you hire me to be your translator? He didn't give me a response to, to chance to respond. I watched you with Rada. You didn't read her lips, and you spoke to her in perfect Romania. I thought you didn't know this language. I don't know it. Then how did you use it? No one could have been more surprised than me. My heart fluttered in my chest. It was a miracle. Then he's cold. <clears throat> Our next story is number 51, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Have a little faith. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. Genesis 50, 21. I don't think my husband and I really understood what we had gotten ourselves into. Sure, we knew things would be real tough. We were both still in college, newly married, and our first baby had just been born. Life was chaotic. Money was short. But we had more than enough love to get us through. What more did we need? Life soon taught us that love doesn't put food on the table, nor does love magically make baby formula appear. The reality was all too real as I looked helplessly at the nearly lined up canisters of baby formula on the drugstore shelf. 
There were dozens of varieties, name brands, off brands, specialty, soy, and lactose free. The one thing they had in common, however, was that they were all out of my price range. I opened my purse for the hundredth time that morning and wanted to cry. I had $2.23, not enough to, for a can of formula. My sweet baby boy was sleeping in the shopping cart and at the moment panic set in. What would happen when he was hungry and I had nothing to give him? Surely I could ask my mom for help or my mother-in-law, but consider they were miles away. It wouldn't help me today. An unexpected car repair had taken extra every little dime we had that month, and now my baby was going to go hungry. I bought four packages of ramen noodles instead and silently wondered if they were on the list of okay food for a three-month-old infant. My husband was waiting for us in the car, and after securing the baby, I flopped into the passenger seat. What are we going to do? I choked back a sob. We are barely making rent, barely getting studying done, and now we can't buy formula for our baby. We don't even deserve him. My husband took my hand and kissed it with tears on his own forming. Have a little faith, Em, he told me. We knew it was going to be hard. I'll think of something. I won't be... I won't let our baby starve, and neither will God. At that moment, something in me just snapped. My husband always had to throw the faith card into everything. I have never been one to pin my hopes on such an abstract idea, and at that moment, it seemed almost comical, frustrating to me. Faith? I asked in a snide tone. You think faith is going to... Right this minute, feed our newborn? Do you think faith is going to magically fill our fridge? If God really wanted to help us, he would have never given us a beautiful baby and then allow him to go hungry. Faith hasn't helped us much up to this point, Ryan. Why shouldn't it suddenly help us now? Why? Ryan was quiet. He didn't chastise me or lecture me or even say anything to make me feel his disapproval. He just kissed my hand again and started the car. Well, I still have fate, was all he said. The ride home was silent. I was worried about the night ahead. I had enough formula for one bottle, maybe two, if I mix it thin. In the morning, I will call my mom, swallow my pride, and ask her to transfer money into my checking account. If only I could have bought one more can of formula to tie us up over until payday. Still better to put away the ego and ask for help instead of letting my baby starve, I suppose. My thoughts were interrupted by Ryan, pulled into the small post office parking lot. Stop in for mail, he announced. I forgot to get it to yesterday. Our apartment complex didn't offer mail service, so we had to stop at the post office every day and check our P.O. box. It was raining and cold, and I cursed its inconvenience as I hopped out of the car. I inserted the key into our box and was surprised to find another key nettled among the pile of letters. Attached to it was a note. You have received a package that was too large for your post office box. Please use this key and retrieve it in box 40C. 
What could be the package B? We weren't expecting any sort of delivery package. I located box 40C and turned the key, and when the door opened, my heart skipped a beat. I instantly recognized the symbol on the large box of the logo of the baby formula we had been using for our son. With all the excitement of a child on Christmas morning, I tore open the package to find two full-size cans of formula inside with a coupon for two more free cans to be redeemed at the store. Still in shock, I ran outside to my waiting husband. I showed him the precious delivery and began to cry tears of relief, tears no flowing down, knowing my child wouldn't go hungry that day or the rest of the week even was the most uplifting question I had ever experienced. Sensation. Uplifting a sensation. I don't think, I don't know what to think, I told Ryan. I can't believe that today of all days we would be so lucky to get free formula samples. Do you have faith now? Ryan asked me with a smile. That day was the beginning of my own relationship with God. I learned he is always by our side. He'll never let us walk alone. We just have faith and more faith to have faith. Emily Weaver. Chicken soup for the soul. A book on miracles. Thanks for listening. November 29th, obey the word of love. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. 1 John 2, 5, New American Standard. Many people, believers included, think love means having warm feelings about people. They think of love as an emotional thing, but love is not a feeling and feeling is not the evidence of love. Love is a person and action is the evidence. God is love, 1 John 4, 8. So to be moved by love is to be moved not by feelings, but by God himself. What does God move us to do? He moves us to obey his word because whoever keeps God's word, in him the love of God is perfected. What does keeping God's word have to do with living in love? Think about it for a moment. The word of God is the expression of God himself. Since God is love, everything the Word tells us must be loving. So if He wants to walk in love, all we have to do is act on the Word. Whatever it says to do, we just do it. If we follow that simple guideline and put God's Word first, we can come through the most complicated, challenging situations in victory. We can overcome every scheme of the devil because love never fails. It can't fail because God is love. And God cannot fail. Love people unconditionally by acting on God's word. And you'll see miracles take place around you. You'll not only see others blessed, you'll find yourself stepping into greater blessing than you ever known before. Walking in love by obeying God's word will even cause your finances to increase. A friend of mine experienced that years ago when he went into the television and radio business. He wanted to buy a station from a Jewish man and told him, The word of God says that if I will believe you, God will bless me. So I'm going to see that 
you get the better part of this deal. Most people would be afraid to say such a thing. They'll be afraid of taking, being taken advantage of. But that deal turned out to be exceptionally profitable for both of them. My friend was a tremendous Christian witness to his Jewish friend. And they ended up preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ together on radio. When love rules, prosperity can flow. So commit to living the life of the love of God today by determining to obey the word, no matter what. Then watch God turn failure into success again and again, at home, at work, in any situation. You can improve it yourself. Love never fails. Our next reading from Limitless Love, Kennedy and Gloria Copeland, is Miraculous Realm of Love. Scriptures, John fourteen twelve. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Every true believer at some time in his life, longs to walk in the realms of the miraculous. He hungers to operate in the supernatural power to fulfill the words of Jesus by doing the works that he did. And even greater works than these, he longed for that because he is divinely ordained, destined at every born-again child of God. The Lord let me know years, years ago However, that for us to step into the fullness of that destiny, we must first have a greater revelation of that love of God. He said to me, A revelation of my love is the highest revelation of the church because I am love. To have a revelation of love is to have a revelation not of what God has or what he can do, but of God himself. That's why God is revealing his love as never before to his people today. The day of his coming is approaching and is a time for us to step into our destiny. I believe with all my heart that is the revelation of God's love in the church that will usher in the great resurrection. When the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me about this, he said, My people must learn to walk in love. They must realize that my love is alive and powerful. That fate works by love and that in love there is no accusation for stumbling. They must understand they can walk and be perfect in love before they come to heaven and that is they they do. That love will protect them. I want them to know the reality of my word that says, Above all things, have a fervent love for one another. The Greek text of that scripture in 1 Peter 4 8 says, Above all things, have a, a white hot love for one another. The Bible says we are baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. Luke 3.16 That fire is the all-consuming love of God. God's love will consume sin and death. It will consume the work of Satan and absolutely swallow it up. Today, there's a vast army of men and women who have made the decision to the works of Jesus. They have committed themselves to live and walk in the realm of the miraculous. The love of God is the key to walking in that realm. There are things available to us as we walk in the love of God that are not available to any other way. 
In this day and hour, we as God's people are taking a rightful position, dedicating ourselves to God and renewing our minds with the word. We are setting ourselves apart from the carnal ways of the world and committing ourselves to walk in the love of God. We are moving toward our divine destiny through a relation of God's love. December 1. For love's sake, take care of yourself. In Galatians chapter 5, 13 and 14, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for any occasion of the flesh. But by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. The life of love is a life of continual giving of yourself to others. It is God-centered and others-centered instead of self-centered. When we're walking in love and we face a decision, our first thought is not, what do I want to do in this situation? What will make me happy? But what does the Lord want me to do, to do here? What choices will enable me to be the greatest blessing I can possibly be? That doesn't mean we neglect or take care of ourselves. However, it doesn't mean we ignore our own spiritual and natural needs. It is not loving and right to go on and on, working endlessly on behalf of others. Until you work yourself to exhaustion, if you do that long enough, you will reach a place physically that makes you ineffective spiritually. You end up bankrupt with nothing left to give. Instead of being blessing to others, you'll become a burden to them. There is nothing loving about that. Years ago, I made the mistake in ministry. I had such a drive and desire to serve the Lord and preach the word to those who were hungry to hear it that I overcommitted myself. I wound up preaching seven days a week. I didn't even take a day to rest. That's not scriptural. And anything that is unscriptural cannot possibly be done in love. After a while, I got so tired, I could hardly make it up to the step of the airplane to fly, my next, to, to fly to my next meeting. I remember thinking, I must be the most tired man in the world. The reason? I, wasn't, I was drawing strength from my spirit, giving it all of the time. Without taking time to rest, replenish myself, I really believe if I had kept it up, I would have killed me at an early age. But thank God the Holy Spirit showed me my mistake. I repented and made the change. It's been years since then, and I'm still going strong serving the Lord and ministering to people today. As you learn to walk in love, remember that you can only be a blessing to others if you take good care of yourself. Take the time to maintain a strong spirit, a refreshed soul, and a healthy body. Do it not out of selfishness, but out of your desire to be a blessing to others. Because you're, you love your neighbors, be sure to love yourself. That way you'll not only be willing, but able to keep on serving them for many years to come. Amen and amen.